0: You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views and the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. It is brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, designing and installing solar and storage solutions so you can run your electric vehicle the smart way on solar.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven podcast. We're back after a few months break and we plan to have a podcast looking at the electric vehicles every fortnight and there's so much to talk about with policy in the question, um, new models coming to Australia and just a whole bunch of questions about how we manage and how we organise and how we orchestrate the transition to electric vehicles in Australia. So, look, for my first guest, I just want to recount a bit. It really came around from our desire to go to hol- on a holiday in Tasmania in January. We wanted to spend a couple of weeks driving around at least half the state, the eastern part of the state, from the south to the north and back again. And we wanted to do it in an electric vehicle because we own one here in New South Wales. But guess what? it's actually hard to do so um, anywhere in Australia and in Tasmania as well, which is a shame because they do have pretty much 100% renewables thanks to their largely hydro-based grid and also because of increasing amounts of wind energy and rooftop solar. You can probably probably find a couple of individual people offering to rent out their cars for a couple of days or a week or something like that, and uh, we thought, well, it's not going to happen until we came across Clive Atwater, um, and Clive is joining me today. He very kindly lent us one of his Nissan Leaf electric vehicles, and we had an absolutely great time, but he has a really interesting story to tell about his involvement in rolling out the transmission uh, charging network in Tasmania and sort of pushing the cause of EVs there. Clive, thank you very much for joining the Driven podcast.
0: And glad to be with you, Giles.
1: Well, thanks once again for um, the um, the loan of the uh, Nissan LEAF electric vehicle. Um, we'll talk more about the actual sort of experience in the trip. But tell me, why were you so keen to actually lend it to um, another person? Because you're not necessarily in the business of EV rentals, but you are keen to promote the idea of EVs, I guess.
0: Well, I am. Um, I, I'm, I'm keen to always get someone behind the wheel of an EV, particularly if they haven't been before. Now, you are something of an exception because you're already an EV driver, Um, but one of the things that we're trying hard to do is to show that Tasmania is a state not only powered by renewable energy, but where we now have a network of fast chargers which allow you to travel virtually anywhere in the state, Um, and that's that's quite a, a milestone. Uh, When I think back to when I bought my first Nissan LEAF uh, seven years ago, six and a half, um, Mm -hmm. gee, it was hard getting anywhere (laughs) beyond the range of the batteries. Um, We had one charger, and it wasn't a fast charger at the Nissan dealer, which was seven or eight kilometers from home, which doesn't do you a lot of good. Um, So uh, I and other members of the Tasmanian branch of AVA were very keen to try and get charging opportunities around the state. And yes, we started off with whatever PowerPoints we could lay our hands on and add to PlugShare. But what we really wanted to do was get the fast charge network. And now we've got it. I want people to know about it. And I thought, now, Giles, if he goes for a trip, he'll find out about it. And I'm sure he'd be happy
1: to share that experience with other people. Well, he is. And here we are now. So um, Electric Highway Tasmania, I think that's the name of your organization. Is that right? Or has it evolved? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It is. And you have how many electric fast electric fast charging stations in Tasmania now? Well, there are 14 sites open as of
0: today at the recording of this uh, broadcast. Um, six of them are electric highway Tasmania sites. Some of them belong to other network operators or local governments or just individual um, host sites that have chosen to put them in. Uh, The state government has been um, very strong in their support in Tasmania. There's been nearly $600,000 in grants have gone towards these chargers. And there's been some arena money, which has supported a couple of the ultra-fast chargers. So uh, it's been a cocktail of private investment, state and federal government money. Um, But the 14 sites... Are a milestone because we do now uh, realistically uh, can make the claim that you can go virtually anywhere in Tasmania in a 200 plus kilometer range, we say, not the shorter range um, uh, generation one leafs and things like that. Um, But in a 200 plus kilometer range vehicle, you can go virtually anywhere in Tasmania. But although it's an important milestone, it isn't by any means the end of the journey. There's um two, two stations we know that are going to open from one operator this year. Uh, another one's expected later in the year. And I know of around about nine sites in planning at the moment. And I'm sure there's some that I don't know about.
1: So how many do you think we'll need for, it to, for the jigsaw to be complete? Or will it be one of those things where you will just sort of keep on adding? And in those sites which exist now, which might have one or two charging stations, they might actually multiply. So they've got two, four, or even six or something like that.
0: Yeah, so there's a few few aspects to that. I think the first thing is that um, uh, over time, I, I anticipate that the range of vehicles generally will tend to go up uh, as batteries become more affordable. And so uh, we always advocate, even though we're a public fast charge network operator, we advocate the best place to charge your electric vehicle is at home in the driveway. Or if you're a traveler, where you're staying overnight. Leave the driveway in the morning with a, enough charge to do your day's driving use us when you must. So we don't actually expect public fast charges to account for much more than between maybe 2% and 5% of the total amount of charging done by the average private passenger vehicle. So the number of sites you need will always be Even though we charge very slowly relative to petrol, say, um, the number of sites we need will always be substantially less than the number of petrol bowser's we have uh, in the state or in the country at the moment. To get a reasonable coverage of Tasmania would probably be around about 25 max, maybe 30 sites. And that's, if I can say it, for convenience so that the place where you go to charge is pretty much on your route. Um, You don't have to drive way out of the way to get to it. Um, and you're likely to have sufficient capacity there to, to charge um, upon arrival. Um, having said that, um, in major urban areas, and we don't have a lot of those in Tasmania compared to uh, your mainland states, but uh, let's say greater Hobart and the greater Launceston area and what we call the northwest coast, Bernie Devonport. in those three areas, we do anticipate that there will be a substantial demand for public fast charging by things like taxis, delivery vehicles and some other fleet operators. Um, That's consistent with overseas experience. uh, And in some cases, they account for 70% of the demand in major urban areas.
1: Okay, that's that's interesting. The, the issue that we found, I mean, we're quite surprised when there wasn't or bit probably more disappointed than surprised, I suppose, that um, there wasn't a commercial electric vehicle um, rental operation. You know, we kind of hear talk from now and now again that some people are interested. When do you think it, it will come about in Tasmania? W- well, one, when will it be ready? And two, um, how ready do you think the actual providers of um, rental car companies are going to embrace yeah, well, it? The, uh, uh... Until the
0: 9th of February, when we opened our last site in Swansea, it would have been a dumb thing to do to undertake commercial rental of electric vehicles because the most popular routes for tourists are up the East Coast and you couldn't do it. So the very first foundational requirement for a electric vehicle car rental business will be to have that charge infrastructure in place. It's there now. Um, we know of a number at least at least two that I know of directly, and some others by hearsay, uh, car rental companies that have already investigated and made purchasing inquiries um, for electric vehicles for their rental fleets. but wisely, in my view, they did not do that until the charge network was rolled out. So I think we will see the first offerings of electric vehicles from the car rental companies. Pretty soon. Now, COVID messed things up because it rest up the tourism industry and it's messed up um, interstate travel, which is what the people that rent the cars mostly are doing. And I think you can see uh, pretty clearly that it's going to be a while before people find their feet and maybe recover financial losses in some cases before they get too gung ho about doing new and exciting things. But um, uh, barring that that barrier, I would suggest um, the industry should be ready to go pretty quickly.
1: Well, that's pretty exciting. And what about sort of fleet operators and government fleets? I think the Tasmanian government has made interesting moves towards um, um, going electric. Um, What about some of the private operators?
0: Well, indeed, the state government is committed to converting its fleet. And I think that my interpretation of the words is that they will only purchase electric vehicles that are suitable for purpose um, after 2030. It doesn't mean that every fire truck and, and police wagon or whatever will be electric by then because they'll have a a legacy fleet that has to pass through. But uh, certainly that's their goal is to convert over that period of time. And they've already begun that Uh, as a number of agencies that have made purchases already uh, had previously made purchases, but they've made larger ones. Um, In terms of private companies, we're already seeing quite a few private companies that have chosen to go electric. I, I won't name names, but there's two or three, mostly smaller, mostly tech oriented or green oriented companies at this point. Um, but the fact that their vehicles are there and on the road, um, operating effectively, again, depending on the nature of the business, if they operated statewide, they really needed that statewide network in place for it to make sense. Um, but I think now having that there will be a huge spur to their saying, yes, this is now practical. We Some of the journeys that otherwise might have been a bit hard, slow, we can now do easily without loss of time. So uh, let's go for it.
1: Mm. So, Clive, let's get to the subject of how much is charged for the um, convenience of fast charging. Now, one of the charging stations that we stopped at on the way from Hobart to Launceston um, was charging $1 a kilowatt hour, and it um, seems to me that might be the most, the highest kilowatt hour rate um, that I've seen so far in Australia, and I actually stopped just to film it and take a photograph of it and just put three kilowatts in, and kilowatt hours in, and <laughs> cost me $3. Well... Um, why are people paying, uh, why are people charging such high prices?
0: Um, well, uh, I can't speak for the operator of that site. Uh, obviously they've made their own calculations and assessment of what they think they need to justify it as a business undertaking. Um, but the, the thing that's really interesting is that they're on the Midlands Highway between Hobart and Devonport uh, via lonsiston And they are one of about five different places you can stop along that route or will be five shortly, it's not, they're not all open yet. So that opens a prospect of competition, something which, because charge networks are pretty thin in the ground, you don't see very often. So mm-hmm. the response of users to that will be very interesting to follow, um, whether it's the location and the timing of Lou Breaks and coffee or whatever else, or whether it's the um, the speed of the charge, because some of the chargers on that route are faster than others, or whether it's uh, other factors that... Um, um lead people to make a decision and or whether indeed they'll find that their business dwindles and it's uh, not uh, viable for them to charge well above their competitors, time will tell. And I think that's a good thing. I, I'd like to see um, some variety in the offerings in terms of charge speeds and pricing structures, so that consumers can try it on and
1: see what works best for them. Hmm. Now you're, you're an organization has come up with a um one of the elements of the charging um rate is a time um, component now tell us what you're doing there and tell us why because you explained to this before and i just think it's a really important thing to, to 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 understand
0: yeah okay so we do we have uh, our standard rate for the 50 kilowatt chargers um is 25 cents per minute and 25 cents per kilowatt hour and in conceptual terms 25 cents per kilowatt hour is pretty much what the electricity costs us Um, 25 cents per minute is what we consider you're renting the equipment and if you want to rent it for a long time that's fine Um, we only get so many hours of use of use out of it per day before we regard it as being too busy and we need to put in more capacity and that number just by the way you're listeners might be interested, we calculated on four hours per day on an average day over a year. But to put that in perspective, four hours a day would be around about 12 hours per day on the busiest day of the year. That is to say, we're going to have queuing. Our goal is to have less than 5% of um, people turning up to a charger finding there isn't one free. Um, so, we're looking at one in 20 times that you might find someone there, and then you'll have to wait till they leave, or one of them leaves if it's a multiple charger site. So, that um, time thing does a couple of uh, uh, things. One is that it means that people don't go off to dinner and and have an extra dessert and a coffee and not worry too much about how long they're there because the car's full. I've paid for my kilowatt hours and it doesn't matter how long I leave it there. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll come back when I'm good and ready, thank you. So it it takes care of that situation. Yes, you can have your dessert and coffee, but you're going to pay 25 cents a minute for the privilege. The second thing that it, it does, and this is a bit more subtle, and I don't think many of our users have caught on to this yet, but all electric vehicles have a, a charge curve, that is to say, they charge faster at some times parts of their the charging cycle and slower at others. typically, around about eighty percent, the charge rate starts to drop and drops quite steeply for most evs not all some of them start earlier than that they 'll start at sixty or even or seventy percent um, and The point about it is we 've spaced our chargers to be no more than 120 kilometers apart. And that's true now pretty well statewide bar one or two exceptions. So a car with a 200 kilometer range charging to 80% should have about 160 kilometers range, which means I've got 40 in hand, a margin of safety for side trips or headwinds or whatever else. Um, So it shouldn't be necessary very often to charge to more than 80%. If you charge up to 80% on our chargers, or 50 kilowatt nominal rated chargers, you'll probably keep a charge rate above 40 or 50 kilowatts. You start to taper down maybe at the end, but not that much. That brings out a net price per kilowatt hour of around about 60 cents for most users, which is, I might add, roughly equivalent to the price of petrol. If, however, you continue charging up past 80%, particularly as some people do, I want 95 or 99 or 100%, um, and some cars won't let you go that far anyway, that car shuts down the session. But if you do go that far, those last kilowatts are going in at a very slow rate. And if you combine the time charge with the energy charge, you'll be paying more than a dollar a kilowatt hour. Mm well and truly more in, in the worst case. So we don't encourage people to charge to that high level, and we made the station spacing to take that into account. Now, there are some exceptions. There's the, the early generation Nissan leafs. Um, their range is short enough that 120 kilometers is a stretch for some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand when they charge to a hundred percent, but I will say they're, um, a smaller battery, so it doesn't take them as long, but yes, it is relatively expensive electricity. We mm. will be offering over the time, it, it'll be some years before these roll out, 25 kilowatt chargers at intermediate sites. So between our 120 kilometer jumps, there'll be some 60 kilometer jumps with a 25 kilowatt charger, which will take care of those. And the rate per minute on the slower chargers will be less mm. because they, they're less expensive to buy and install. Similarly, if we bring out faster chargers 75 kilowatts or 100 kilowatts or even higher which we will do with the next generation of installations then the charge per minute goes up but we should also offer alongside a slower charger at a lower price
1: Hmm. you also made the point to me that um if people actually drove a little bit slower oh yeah (laughs) then they may actually save more time and as well more money By not having to charge to 100%. So if you drove at, say, 105 kilometers an hour versus 110, then you'd probably have enough left in your battery that you wouldn't need to charge to 100% when you got to the next charging station.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Look, the the particularities of the numbers are highly variable depending on the vehicle. Um, So a vehicle with a very long range, um, charging to 80% is going to get you halfway across the state anyway. So... That's hardly an issue. Um, vehicles with shorter range. Uh, and I, I took my old 24 kilowatt hour battery Nissan Leaf to Adelaide. So that was an exercise in optimization. Mm-hmm. And and it was actually quite true. If I drove in, that, in a different car, I'm, and I'm not advocating that people drive to Adelaide in a 24 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. But, but if you do, um, your optimum speeds around about 50 or 60 kilometers an hour in terms of how far you get on a charge versus how long it takes you to charge and that was on a slow charger now on a fast charger those numbers are different but certainly with electric vehicles and and indeed with a petrol vehicle if you slow down to the lowest level that you can stay in top gear you'll get a huge increase in your fuel efficiency so people seem to think some people i speak to seem to think oh it's just the way these electric cars run no it's not it's called the square law of wind resistance and the faster you go the more energy it takes to go that speed so um, the sweet spot's probably around about 80 or 90 kilometers an hour if you really need to stretch your range and reduce your total journey time if you can't charge fast if you charge fast, then uh, it's a case of, can I get there? And then you can, you can burn up more more juice. But again, if you're, um, if you're price sensitive, drive slower. It won't take you much longer. You'll enjoy the trip and you'll probably arrive more rested anyway. You might even see more of the scenery.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, that's the attitude that we had um, when we uh, borrowed your Nissan Leaf. In fact, uh, we drove around the state. I don't think we actually got out of echo mode once and um, we sort of cruised along at 90 kilometers now and it was actually really relaxing. They kind of taught me a lesson, really, because so often when we go on holidays, we're racing between one spot and another. And to just try and just sort of slow down and just sort of take it all in, it was actually made along with everything else about the car. You know, it's, 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 it's an easy car to drive, it's a pleasant car to drive. There's no engine noise, there's no emissions, there's no fumes. Uh, it just made for a much more pleasant experience. <laughs>
0: You know, I'm looking forward to enjoying that myself. The, the the thing that you talked about, and that's driving for a, a holiday, um, is something I haven't had much chance to do in the last year or so. We've been putting in stations. I'm based in, in Hobart, Greater Hobart, um, and our sites are on the East Coast and the West Coast and the Northwest Coast. The, the, the closest one's about two hours away, and most of them are about four hours away, driving time. So very often as I've been driving around, I've been tearing around, pushing the speed limit, topping up more often um, because I've had time pressure. I've had to meet a contractor at a site a certain time. You know, I can leave at 530 in the morning or I could leave at six and drive a little faster. So I actually haven't had that pleasure, Giles, and I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. <laughs> and I think that's an important point. Um, th- th- there's quite a difference in the the, the attitude and style of a, of a pleasure drive, um, tourist, if you will, um, versus a business use. And we've tried to make the network serve both so that if you really do have to tear around and get from A to B in a hurry, um, and you know, cram that charging session in while you run to the toilet, grab a coffee and answer two emails, um, then, then you can do it and it's practical. Mm. And, and I think that is an important element of this, but on the other side of it, Frankly, when you have the time, um, it's far more enjoyable to take it easy. And you'll probably find you hardly need to use our chargers at all, because if you leave your accommodation in the morning reasonably full, chances are it'll get to where you're going on that day.
1: No, and that's kind of what we found. Actually, we did a fair bit of overnight charging. Um, mind you, it wasn't always easy. There was one hotel <laughs> we um, motel we stayed in at Launceston, and, us, and it was quite quite ironic actually. There's another Hyundai Ionic staying in a room three doors up, and uh, we both had the leads coming out of the bathroom and um, <laughs> um, across the across the walkway. And um, trip and- hazard, uh, trip hazard, absolutely. Um, the other ones managed to sort of hang it up over the um, over the balcony, actually, so they weren't sort of in the way of anyone, but um but ours Yeah, was. and um and then in bruny island i guess bruny island was our biggest challenge because bruny island is a big island um it's bigger than you think we're actually staying somewhere where we couldn't charge overnight because it was kind of off grid and only had two solar panels and barely had enough to sort of keep a light on and um and the fridge so we had to find places where we could actually plug in so we found the hotel bruni and um they were <laughs> they were very generous they let us plug in there um in the beer garden uh, which was fantastic, but um, are more of these sort of businesses coming around to the idea of um, of, of, of welcoming EVs and uh, making it easy for them to do the overnight charging or to have a spot to charge that so they don't have to sort of, you know, through the bathroom window, et cetera, or sort of go into the beer garden?
0: Yeah, look, um, we had uh, um, quite, I say we, that's the Electric Vehicle Association, had quite a... Um, uh, promotion, if you will, of trying to get accommodation providers to do this before the fast charge network was in place. And because the lack of the fast charge network, a lot of providers kind of said, well, you know, we're not gonna see much traffic anyway. Why should we bother? Um, Last year, uh, there was a a program between the state government, um, Tourism Tasmania, State Development and, and others to actually actively promote Two tourist operators, particularly accommodation providers to install um, at least a 15 amp PowerPoint in an accessible location, but perhaps more sophisticated charging equipment if they wanted to uh, increase the, uh, the tone. But um, uh, it was scheduled for September, which was seen in Tasmania as being the downtime. Uh, people are back from their winter holiday. They're getting ready for the tourism season, but things haven't hotted up just yet. So it's a good time to run workshops and seminars. And this was all planned back in January, February, March. And then, of course, COVID came. And um, we said, all right, well, we can still run these things. They'll just be Zoom meetings instead of uh, workshops face to face, Um, which we did. And we had them all organized and set up and everything was going along kind of slow and COVID was still happening. So no one was really moving around. So everyone said, yeah, tourism operators, got lots of time. And the week before, Dan Andrews tidied up victoria and the state government opened and everybody started to come over again from victoria so all of the operators said nope too busy gone and no one turned up uh we had about a dozen um statewide which wasn't very many we were expecting a couple of hundred Mm -hmm. so um we will do that again um but uh, (laughs) as we can see with the current ups and downs it's uh, a fairly unpredictable um situation. And um, so it's going to be kind of hard to pick the right time. I think we'll probably start to aim again for September this year. Uh, It will be different because we'll have um, the statewide network, which is great, but we'll also have some statistics. And one of the statistics that has not entirely surprised me, but certainly pleased me to see, we don't know everybody who charges on our network. we The privacy information as such that's just known to the billing system, but not to us as a network operator. Um, but what we do get is a postcode. And from the postcodes, we've observed that just under a quarter of all of the charge events have been by interstate visitors. And um, that's that's quite a bit. So that starts to, we can start to put numbers to how many people are visiting in electric vehicles. And of course that will be added to once we do get those electric vehicle car rentals, which is still still over the horizon. Um, but uh, those sort of numbers then start to become much more convincing to um, tourism operators that sort of, well, what's it worth? The other thing that we'll be able to show by September, um, probably a little preliminary, and that's whether there's any significant growth curve, um, whether we're seeing, a month-to-month growth curve which is sustained we are seeing one but it's far too short to have any confidence in it mm. and we haven't really had a full year yet so we haven't got seasonality and even when we do with COVID thrown in who knows what it means anyway so yeah. uh, uh, time will come when it all gels and the more credible it becomes uh, the more confident tourism operators will be to make those installations
1: <coughs> it's kind of interesting actually because I just find just just driving around town here in northern new south wales um I've actually kind of changed my choice of um cafe venues um where I go and get my morning coffee and or maybe sit and have breakfast or or whatever or go and pick up the bread and I'm now going predominantly to the places where there is a charging station either there or just nearby. And um, I can think of one place um, which has got two charging stations, which is very convenient, and um, it's a very popular place. But um, I would have spent a significantly uh, higher amount of money um, buying coffee and bread from that place that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise than um, I would have ever um, costed them on charging.
0: And the um, coffee and bread's good?
1: coffee and bread is excellent otherwise i wouldn't go there
0: <laughs> yeah no so i think uh, that's right and a lot of um i say a lot uh, often where people have commercial enterprises have installed uh chargers uh destination or level two chargers the ac chargers um they don't provide you with a huge amount of electricity but it is an incentive for people to go there and not somewhere else um i Take it, the ones that you're going to are uh, free chargers, or have you um, paid a yes. fee for them?
1: No, look, they are actually um, free chargers at the moment. Yeah. In, and um,
0: and in- I have no I have no problem with a commercial provider like that, a coffee shop or, or whatever, offering free charging because it is an inducement for people to come and spend money on coffee and bread and snacks and whatever. So, so that makes business sense from their point of view. Those chargers are really um, – not terribly expensive to install, particularly if you can do it when you're doing some other work and it's more often the cost of getting the cable from the switchboard to the car mm. parking lot that's the most expensive part rather than the charger itself. Um, so so I expect we'll see those and continue to see those. Um, I think they'll play a modest role in the total charging requirements for most drivers, um, depending on how much coffee you tend to drink um, and your habits. But uh, I still think we'll see more charging at home. The issue will become uh, if they become seen or expected by users as as a way of charging their car for free or nearly free, and they minimize or don't charge at home, and they maybe go there and uh, then go for a walk, walk the dog or something, and leave the car plugged in for an hour or two because they're slow, Um, Hmm. and consequently they're not available to others. So I think the the issue of... um, appropriate use, if we can call it that. So it's four guests, it's four guests while they're there eating and drinking or whatever the establishment does. Um, That's fine. Um, But uh, I think there is um, a management issue there, potentially. And we do
1: see that at some sites. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. We also see we also see what some people are calling icing, sort of um, ice, ice vehicles just being parked in front of EV chargers. Um, there's not much I guess you can do about that apart from sort of information campaign and sort of. Um, um, well,
0: we we do. We haven't. Um, we have CCTV at all of our sites. Yeah. Um, they're motion activated, um, so we know when a car moves into a space and when it leaves. Um, we haven't observed icing at our sites. which uh, I would say was a, again, pleasant surprise, Um, a little bit unexpected, Um, but nonetheless a very pleasant surprise. Most of our car parks are not in super high pressure parking areas. Mm -hmm. So there's not, you know, massive queues of people looking for a place to park and they'll park anywhere. And if the EV spots, the only one available, I'll take it. So we're not faced with that too much there's one or two sites where that's maybe a bit of an issue um but we do have the cctv and we do have signs up which say uh parking for electric vehicles only while charging Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just as bad that an electric vehicle parks there and doesn't charge (laughs) it doesn't matter whether it's electric vehicle or internal combustion engine vehicle if it's parking there and not charging it's uh it's uh depriving somebody else of that opportunity Um, but we do have arrangements with a couple of councils where if we regularly notice icing taking place, uh, we have the capacity. We haven't done this, but we have the capacity to send an alert to their parking enforcement officers. And they can come around and ticket that car. Mm. And if they do, the revenue goes to the council,
1: mm. which
0: is a reason why they might want to be
1: bothered. <laughs> well, that's exactly uh Clive, just finally, just sort of wrapping up. Um, the, um, it seems to me that Tasmania is, um, well placed now. Um, thanks partly to your efforts and also to others to be a leader in um, the transition to electric vehicles in Australia. Do you sort of agree with that? And how quickly do you think this transition is actually going to happen when it starts rolling? I mean, we're still very much in the early days. We're still very much in the early adopter things because we haven't got EVs, which are, you know, low enough price to attract a mass, mass market. But they're kind of coming. You've got big car makers saying they're not going to, you know, some of them saying we're going to make electrics only after twenty twenty-five. I know some of those are luxury ones and not necessarily your sort of, you know, your lower cost models. Mm -hmm. How quickly do you think this is going to happen?
0: All right, look, we can all speculate, and that's what it would be. Um, It could be somewhat informed speculation rather than wild guesses. But let me just ask you: um, In twenty ten, Tesla launched a Model S thereabouts. I think it might have been late twenty nine, but say twenty ten. Uh, Renault brought out the Zoe, Mitsubishi brought out the IMIV, and the uh, first Leaf was launched. Mm -hmm. Not in Australia, these cars, but overseas. At that time, if someone said that Tesla, as a car manufacturer, would be worth more by 2020 than any other car
1: manufacturer on the globe,
0: what would you have said? Yeah,
1: well, um, no. Um, in fact, you, you would have said, right? you've got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly?
0: I would have said, you've got to be kidding. Now, I think my – uh, and look, you can argue whether that valuation is meaningful, et cetera, et cetera. They're a battery company as much as a car company, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the point I guess I'm trying to make is that it's very uh, – things can happen a lot faster than people – Expect when car manufacturers, even luxury car manufacturers, and not all the ones that have made those announcements are luxury car manufacturers, but when car manufacturers start to say we will only produce electric or we will dominantly produce electric or even just set a target, um, when the price comes down and it hasn't yet, and we anticipate it will be another three, four, perhaps even five years yet before we see price parity. Um, but when we see price parity for purchase and operating costs substantially less, some people say it's always a third, certainly less than half what it would be for a petrol or diesel vehicle. Um, When we see the um, commitment of governments in other parts of the world, if not yet in Australia – to making these transitions, and indeed, even Tasmania's com- uh, uh, commitment to a um, uh, electric fleet for the state government. When we start to see those things happen, there will be a point when people like petrol station operators say, Hey, it's not worth reinvesting. Uh, you know, the tanks in the ground need to be replaced. I noticed there's been a strong trend to move towards above ground fuel storage. And that's a reflection of the fact that that's a hedge against it's damned expensive to bury these long lived tanks underground. I think we'll just put them on the surface and we can move them somewhere else if we need to. Um, and, and we can um, rehabilitate the site much more cheaply. So you can already see a strategy there on the part of fossil fuel operators that helps them prepare for the fact that they're in a sunset industry. Doesn't mean it's dying tomorrow not saying that, but you can start to see the thinking is being embedded in the way they operate today to move towards that. So um, I think it can happen quite quickly. I think if you find that the range of offerings of petrol vehicles starts to decline and you can't get a model that's quite like the one you used to get, when the availability of petrol starts to shrink in terms of sites starting to close that's happened in japan not because of evs but because of an aging population and different car ownership patterns there are now some suburbs that don't have petrol stations and you got to drive quite a way to go get petrol again not because of evs mm-hmm. but for the reasons when you start to see those patterns then it will start to influence people's expectations and they'll start thinking things like well gee i'd rather have maybe they'd rather have a petrol car but i'm not going to be able to sell it in a few years Mm. so maybe i won't buy one um Mm. so the things that influence people's decisions can change in a whole lot of small ways none of which individually is you know the end of the world but but when you add them all up it's kind of probably not a good idea is it and when those changes start to pile up i think the switch will happen very quickly dramatically quickly the other thing is people say oh but look there's going to be petrol vehicles in the road for a long time and there is that no question but I also think what will happen is that as they start to decline the inconvenience of finding petrol the fact that regional rural areas may probably lose their petrol stations first which isn't what we expect but it happened with LPG um, uh, when you start to see um, you know uh, spare parts and service loss of skills um, uh, mechanics retiring and people aren't replaced because well why would I learn to be a diesel mechanic or a petrol engine mechanic um and and all of those things start to contribute to the fact that it becomes harder i think we'll actually see the lifetime of the remaining ice fleet much shorter than it would be under a business as usual scenario Mm. i i i think the change will happen hard and fast when it happens i think it will be the latter part of this decade
1: Do you think there's anything that the government, the federal government could or should be doing to accelerate this or facilitate this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. Um, (laughs) Look, the the problem I have with our our current um, federal government's policies is it's such a bunch of mixed messages. It's a very half-hearted sounding commitment. Now, they have allocated some money recently to ARENA to provide some contribution of the charging network they are looking at the integration with the grid which i would say is a very large and important thing that has to be done right but i'm not entirely convinced with the approach that they're proposing that's implicit in the way they've structured that 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 bit of work um so i would i would like to see a what i would call it a a more positivist stance on the part Mm. of the federal government that says hey guys this is going to happen let's let's work to make it happen and happen well i don't yet feel that's the vibe and I think just changing that vibe as indeed some state governments have um, and I would cite Tasmania which I know best um, as doing quite well in that department um, that will affect people's confidence and expectations about some of these changes and uh, it's really that's probably almost as important as specific incentives or tax breaks and things like that much as they would certainly make a difference Uh, and i don't hesitate to 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 suggest that that would be an important thing if you wanted to accelerate it um but when we've got a government that's still talking gas and even hydrogen for cars i think hydrogen has a role but it's heavy transport and boats and planes Mm. rather than passing private passenger vehicles um and i think for physics (laughs) as much as economics um but both um but when does that that real sense of mixed uh, motives and uncertainty um, around it all. I, I, I don't think that's helping at all.
1: No. Well, look, maybe that might change. I understand now that the Comcar fleet, which um, ferries, uh, fiddle MPs and dignitaries around the place now has two EVs as part of their fleet, um, a Tesla Model 3 and a Hyundai Ionic. So maybe some of them will get to share the experience and the joys of EVs and uh, hopefully the drivers has got some nice things to say about it. Clive, um, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, thank you very much once again on um, allowing us to use your innocent leaf while we're in Tasmania. Congratulations on your work on the um, laying down an electric highway in Tasmania and for your advocacy through um, Aiva and other ones. And um, happy electric driving. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to those pleasure trips. The
0: Driven Podcast was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy. Solaray Energy has been designing and installing solar and storage solutions for electric vehicle owners since EVs first arrived in Australia. There's a smarter way to run your EV from Solaray. Visit solaray.com.au forward slash the driven.